0: putting this um, recorder here, Tim thinks that I'm going to say something of some value, however you are. Uh, I'm not going to do that much talking, Um, I'm going to guide a discussion this evening Uh, so we'll see where we go and uh, how we get on. And hopefully this magic microphone might pick up some of it. Let me pray before we set off. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the way in which your word has made such a difference in uh, uh, many of our lives here. It really has brought us from darkness to light, from death to life from ignorance to knowledge, from despair to joy and hope. And uh, so, Lord, it is with real anticipation that we come to look at your word again. Please, Lord, let it shine your light into our hearts. Help us to walk out of here as different people as a result of this evening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, story so far. Um, uh, We've started looking at uh, the book of Acts. Acts, of course, is the sequel to Luke's Gospel, as Tim explained to us last week. Um, Luke and actually the other three Gospels all describe the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and um, uh, whilst the rest of the other three Gospels are content to leave it there um, uh, Luke was determined that in order to complete the story he needed to write a second book his first book was about Jesus and his second book um, he hints continues to be about Jesus in my former book Acts 1-1 Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, although Acts is traditionally called the Acts of the Apostles, you could say it's the Acts, the further Acts of Jesus. Um, <coughs> you could also say, probably uh, being more faithful to the emphasis in in uh, uh, in Acts as well. It is the acts of the Holy Spirit and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today in particular, Um, the difference the Holy Spirit makes. Uh, Kate read to us about um, this uh, day of Pentecost. Jesus has risen from the dead and also he has ascended into heaven, we're told, in Acts chapter 1. So Jesus is no longer there. The disciples are uh, not sure what they're going to do, huddled huddled together in one place wondering what's going to happen. Pentecost is 50 days after Easter when Jesus was crucified and uh, so they've been there for nearly a couple of months and then this amazing thing happens at Pentecost. Here's my first question to you. How, do, how does the event of Pentecost change the expectation that the disciples had of what Jesus was going to continue to do? How does Pentecost change the disciples' expectations? Uh, that, that is for shouting out, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a shouting out evening this evening, John. Okay, that's an important uh, uh, thing. Um, the second half of Acts 1, um, John is referring to. Um, Judas, remember, betrayed Jesus. So the disciples, which were a nice number of 12, um, which corresponded to the 12 tribes of Israel, um, they've lost Judas, they're down to 11, and um, uh, they decide they need to get themselves up to 12, and they choose this man, Matthias, um, no indication that they were particularly wrong or sinful about that, is there? But, but nevertheless, um, the, the initiative seems to be with, with broadly with them. And as you say, the initiative in Acts 2, in the beginning of Acts 2, is definitely not with them. Yeah, thank you. Who else wants to make a suggestion? in that point, but it's also true that they're much more involved than perhaps they expect to be in, in seeing them staring up into the sky after Jesus and they probably think he was the guy who could do it. all uh, right yeah. And then somebody actually he's a tent and caught Yes. Acts 1, verse 10. They were looking up intently into the sky as Jesus was going and suddenly two men dressed in white who we are perhaps to assume our angels, stood beside them. (coughs) Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? If this Jesus will, who's been taken back from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Um, Implication seems to be, but uh, why bother standing around uh, looking looking into the sky? Um, uh, He'll come back in his own good time. Perhaps there are other things that need to happen in the meantime. Uh, Who can explain to me what's going on in their minds, uh, except for Tim Guest, who explained it last week. So we'll see whether they picked up um, what you were saying, Tim. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, thank you very much, um, Sean. Um, uh, Do you want to expand on that? That was a a useful executive summary, but... um Okay, so so that that's the background. Um, there there was um, most Jews um, expected someone to come who would once again restore the nation of Israel um, to its to its to its former sovereign glory, that where where they could rule themselves because they were under the rule and domination of Rome and. Um, Uh, so when they say are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel they're saying as to be honest they've been saying to Jesus right throughout his uh, life before he was crucified um, uh, and even immediately uh, after he rose from the dead they're saying are you going to do it now Jesus are you going to overthrow the Romans now Sean interestingly said that was because they'd read their Old Testaments Had they read their Old Testaments right? Daniel the theologian is wincing at the front, so... um See, I told you that the wisdom would come from the floor, not from me. Um, uh, that's, that's very helpful. What's, what's the, how are the nations going to be blessed in the Old Testament? Because there, there was a hope and expectation that all the nations would be blessed. How were they going to be blessed? What's the main picture of how they're going to be blessed in the Old Testament? Okay, so the sort of big picture in the Old Testament is reasonably clear. Ben is absolutely right, and we 're going to get to some of the some of the indications that there may have been something more, but the sort of big picture the sort of main picture is restoration of the land of Israel, and then the nations being so impressed that they come to God to the God of israel there there, there is a a, a a centripetal movement, if people here were scientists, Ben's happy with that word. there's, 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 there's a, a, a people coming to the center, um, which is uh, Jerusalem. Can someone give us an Old Testament text that will just just settle that into our minds that that's, that's what the Jews uh, expected. Thank you. Can you give us the text no. for that? Can anyone else? Um, what about 1 Kings chapter 10? The Queen of Sheba. Sheba being very important because it's a distant land. Um, And um, uh, Solomon has become very great. Um, She heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a great caravan of camels, carrying spices and large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard. Sorry, we're on page 348 if anyone's still searching. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. The, when the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table and the seating of his officials, the attending servants, blah, 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 she said, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half of what was told me in wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your men must be, verse 9, praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel he's made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. So a little hint there in the Old Testament of someone from the farthest lands seeing what a great nation it is and praising God. And um, uh, the future expectation is that uh, hints like that will just expand into a complete global blessing of the nations. Does anyone want to give anything that predicts the future? Well, Isaiah is 60, pretty way, I mean. yeah, the, a good way. Yeah, Whether the nations get blessed here or not, I don't know. But they, um, as I said, may bring to the wealth of the nations their kings in front of the procession blah, blah 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 sons of your oppressors will come down before you before you to see the Lord's so eye and Israel yeah thank thank you Um uh, Isaiah 60 um, uh, is, is very much about foreigners being incorporated into the people of God in the land or um, I read this morning from Isaiah chapter 2 which is very much. Um, um, many peoples will come and say, "Will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, um, and uh, He will teach us His ways, so that we may walk in His paths." Okay, so Old Testament picture mainly is Israel being restored, and all the nations thronging to Israel, and then we get Pentecost. Why is that different? Yes, thank you, thank you. That's very, very important that, 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 that the apostles are enabled to speak in these people's local languages. They are not coming and learning Hebrew and flocking to to stay at, uh, uh, on uh, in Israel. They have come to Israel, because at this point they're Jews, but what they hear is the gospel in their local language. Each of us hears in his own language, chapter 2, verse 8, Parthians, Medes, and, and, and so on. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. And that's the beginning of a new picture of how the world will be blessed. Now, actually, instead of everyone all having to come to one place to be blessed by the nation of Israel, the Gospel is going to go out into the whole world and there will be... um, outposts of the Kingdom of God worshipping the same Jesus in their own language. So if the Old Testament picture primarily is of the nations coming in to one place where the New Testament adjusts their expectation is it says, no, actually, the main thing is of God's people going out into a variety of different cultures and there being authentic churches, speaking different languages, having different customs. Mari will go back to Japan. And there are believers in Japan. I can't speak the same language as them. They probably don't speak the same language as me. Their churches will feel slightly different, but they will be worshipping Jesus. Sam comes from Nigeria. They will have different practices and different customs there. They will speak uh, Yoruba, is it uh, uh, Sam? Um, and uh, I won't be able to understand them without an ter- interpreter. And some of them, maybe not, not me but they will be worshipping the same Jesus. Suddenly, at Acts chapter 2, God's people become truly a global people. And the nations are blessed in a, in a new way. Let me say, that, that is vitally important for us to recognise here, just as a local church, Okay? We are not calling people to adopt a set of cultural practices that are absolutely essential if you want to be a Christian because this is the way church has been done for hundreds and hundreds of years. Part of, part of what this looks like is partly because self-consciously we want to say to ourselves and to the world, All those trappings are irrelevant. Just as the gospel needs to be spoken in the language of the local people, it needs to be enculturated in the culture of the local people. That's the nature of the New Testament mandate. And so we have this form. Uh, Another church may have another form. um, Whatever fits the local culture. It all began at Pentecost. That is the first thing the Holy Spirit did when he descended. He globalized the church instantly. And oh, sounds a horrible American word. Deculturized, you know, took, took the local culture out of the church and just said. There can be people declaring the wonders of God in, amongst the Medes, the Parthians, the Romans and everyone else. Why does he quote from, uh, from Joel too? I knew we wouldn't get much of this covered, so I'm just going to ask this second question. It makes it really explicit. Thank you very much. So, so um, uh, Paddy, that, that's, that's very important. I will pour out my, verse 17, I will pour out my spirit on all people and uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, first of all, the, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, who was saved in an Old Testament understanding? It's intimidating having Daniel down here and you see the brain rotating at high speed. (laughs) But someone will come up with a beautifully simple answer, I'm sure. Mostly it's relaxed, but people who are living according to the covenants. So mostly it's relaxed, but some converts. Yeah, yeah. I think a reasonable shorthand is to say um, and again, Jesus points out that this is not, even in the Old Testament, entirely true. Um, but a reasonable shorthand would say, everyone who embraces the law of Israel will be saved, one way or another. Um, the Old Testament itself, let me say, is quite explicit that that's just, um, that's no more than a, a temporary thing, and that's, a, that's an approximation in Old Testament Uh, it is fundamentally people who have faith in the living God. But uh, that is mainly associated with embracing the law of the Lord. When, Joel said then, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he is liberating it from simply being associated with the nation of Israel. Everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, we could say, as it says elsewhere in, uh, in the New Testament, everyone who simply calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, will be saved. This is a, gospel, a law-free gospel. This is a gospel about faith in Jesus Christ. And um, uh, the other interesting thing about the quote from Joel chapter 2 is what all people means in the second half of verse 17 and 18. It means all people, all the nations, but it means all people something else as well. Yeah, thank you. On everybody. A characteristic now of New Testament people is that every New Testament person has the Spirit of God. That is what enables us to call on the name of the Lord. That is what gives us faith in Jesus Christ. That is what gives us a solid, confident hope. Is the Holy Spirit. God does a miracle in our hearts. We cannot become Christians unless God does a miracle on, in our hearts. It is not about joining just a nation or a group. It is about the Holy Spirit doing a miracle in our hearts so that we find ourselves calling on the name of the Lord. So at Pentecost, here's where I want to change your view of what a missionary is. At Pentecost, everyone becomes a missionary. You see, what's happened to those first disciples as they speak the wonders of God in languages of all the other people, as they they find themselves by the Spirit Crossing barriers of language and telling new people about Jesus Peter explains well that's what happens to all people all people become spirit filled people if they're going to become Christians and all spirit filled Christians will be empowered then by a spirit who is sending them out into the world. So Charlie Cleverly, uh, Charlie, you're not Charlie Cleverly yet, are you? Charlie Curry. You'll rise to that height one day, Charlie, I'm sure. Charlie Curry, with his amazing word association, got it exactly right. When we say missionaries, think Christians. If you're a believer here, then you are a person in whom the Holy Spirit has worked. That's not just adopting a culture, some cultural expression. It is actually finding faith in Jesus Christ, finding that you cry out from your heart, as Paul says in Romans 8, Abba, Father, to God. And if you're one of those people, then the Spirit will send you out cross barriers into new places. I want you at your tables, we're finished now, people can have a cup of tea and uh, uh, chat and head on your way when you want to. But I want you at your tables, if you have a few minutes and can stay, I want you to be able to perhaps to share what does God's Holy Spirit need to do in my heart? What aspect of what <coughs> we've just been seeing in <coughs> Acts chapter 2 just needs to burst into flame a little bit more in my heart? It was very dramatic at Pentecost, And let me say, since then, it has been rare, if ever, that there have been such dramatic outpourings of the Spirit of God. So, um, let's not feel inferior just because we've not had a Pentecost and 3,000 people converted. But the principles are the same. This is what the Spirit's doing. What does the Spirit need to do for me in my heart? if I'm to be more of a Pentecost, a spirit person. Chat about that for a few minutes. Then if you have time and it seems appropriate, do pray, but um, we're finished as far as formal time is concerned.